0: Well, good morning. My name is Jarrett Stevens. I'm one of the lead pastors here at Soul City Church. I'm so glad that you are with us here this weekend, whether you're here uh, in the auditorium right now or if you're in one of our overflow rooms or maybe you're watching this online. It is a a really good thing for us to gather like this, wherever you may actually be. And I'm grateful to be with you. It's a word we're going to use a lot uh, today because I'm excited for where God is growing our church up and taking us as we really seek to follow Him and to uh, really have generous lives, lives that um, respond to God's generosity out of gratitude. And so I'm excited for us to continue our Give Thanks series. Last week, Jeannie kicked it off. She did an amazing job of helping us just see the overwhelming evidence of God's goodness in our lives. To just stop for a moment, and as she led us through a passage from the Psalms to look up, and see the goodness of God on display so that we can look out and see where God might be sending us to pour out his goodness and his love into other people's lives. What a great time for us to stop and to look up and receive God's goodness and then to look out at this world differently. And I had an awesome opportunity uh, this last week to practice that principle with my wife, and I didn't. I failed miserably. In fact, I don't know that I got any of it right. See, we were uh, speaking at an event in, uh, in D.C., and so that night after the event, we went out to dinner with a bunch of the folks before we had to catch a plane to come back here and having dinner with a bunch of folks. And see, here, here's how things work when we go out to, to eat. My wife should know this. We've been married 18 years. She should know us by now. When it comes time to order, she can pick whatever she wants because I'm going to pick what I want. And if she wants what I want, she should order that for herself. I think that's in the Bible. I'm not sure if there's a verse for that, but I think that's in the Bible. And so she has this habit of when we're sitting down to order, she starts making suggestions to me. Oh, you should look at, oh, what, what do you like? You like kale? You should have the kale salad. I'm like, no, I don't, I don't like kale at all. I don't know why I would want a whole bowl of kale right here. And so she would make these loving suggestions for me. And, and so eventually she suggested something I looked at. It was like a little, you know, chicken pesto personal pizza. I'm like, oh yeah, that actually is great. I love that. And so we order that. We're going into the meal. And then sure enough, I'm halfway through enjoying what I ordered while she enjoys what she ordered. And she asks me, Hey, can I have a slice? Now, there's no way I was going to finish this whole pizza myself. But in that moment, it was still my pizza. My personal chicken pesto pizza. And I I was shocked that she would even ask, in the presence of others, that she would embarrass me, embarrass me like this. She goes, can I have a slice? I'd love to try that. And so this is true confession time as we kind of walk into this this morning. I've been sick this whole last week, and without hesitating she asked for a slice and i'm not you can ask anyone at the table i went <sighs> <laughs> <laughs> just breathe just mark my territory <laughs> eye contact with her the whole time <sighs> <laughs> nice. offer her a slice it's not see here's the thing i love my wife i've made covenantal vows to lay down my life for her but never once in our vows did we talk about sharing food <laughs> I feel like I can go back to that. See, because she's under this delusion that what is mine is hers. I don't know where she gets that idea from. And if it's mine, then it's hers, then it's ours, and it's meant to be shared. She could not be further from the truth in this one. Whether it's a personal chicken pesto pizza, whether it's popcorn at the movies, whether it's a Diet Coke that I ordered, even though there's free refills, I ordered it. You can order your own. Sorry, deeper stuff is coming out. (laughs) She's under this delusion that what's mine is really hers and therefore it's ours. And if I were to be really, really, really honest with you, I too suffer from a grand delusion. I I suffer from the delusion that I I believe I like to think of myself as someone who is generous, as someone who is grateful, as someone who is open-handed with their stuff. I like to think that I'm that kind of person, but truth be told... Oftentimes, I am not. I am not. And my hunch is that that may be true of you as well. That you like to, we like to think of ourselves as generous, as grateful, as open-handed pizza or people. So that when people, <laughs> I'm still thinking about it, guys. I'm still working it out. So that we people do ask for a slice, or when people ask for something of you, that you, I know that you want to think of yourself. That of course you would, but in the moment, what is really going on in your heart? What is really going on in my heart? And why is it that so often I think of myself as I am not? I think of myself as far more grateful and generous than I actually, actually am. And so what I want us to do is to look at a a story today that God reveals the heart of who we really are. It invites us to examine sort of the soil of our soul and what's really growing in us if we're ever going to grow a grateful heart. What's already in there, what's working even against us. Because I believe that there are always things that are kind of working against the life that God has invited you to live and the things that he's asked and invited you to do to participate in that life with him. So we're going to look at one story that's going to give us a very, very practical next step that we can all put into place this next week. And the story is actually found in the book of Matthew. So if you have a Bible, you can grab your Bible and open it to Matthew chapter 13. If you have it on your phone, great. If you didn't bring it, you can turn to page 684 in the blue Bible. There should be a blue Bible right in front of you or under your seat. I just Would everyone grab a Bible and grab a pen? And then I'm going to be saying some stuff, writing some notes. So you might want to jot some things down, circle some things in the Bible. Uh, it's okay to write in these Bibles. Uh, we ask people all the time, if you don't own a Bible and you're serious about this life with God, please steal a Bible from church today. And so anything that you write in this Bible is going to help someone have a head start when they steal it from church. So grab a pen, grab a Bible. Uh, and let me just say this. There are a lot of things. We're going to look at a great story that Jesus told today. There's a, there's a lot of things in the Bible, uh, and really, truly, honestly, things about God, things about faith that are an utter mystery, that are just a complete mystery. I mean, there's things I've spent most of my lifetime wrestling with and still don't fully understand about God. There's a lot about God. There's a lot even in the Bible. There's a lot about faith that's a mystery. And for a good part of my life, I fought that. I thought it was my job to solve that mystery. But in this season, I'm coming into incredible peace with that mystery because it means that God is so much bigger than anything I could ever create on my own. And so I actually find rest in the mystery of God. There are some things about God that are a mystery. But money is not one of those things. And we're gonna talk real honestly about our resources and what we do with what God's entrusted to you. In the Bible, actually, God is very clear and consistent and actually very honest with us about what money can do to our hearts and what we can do when our hearts are fully surrendered to God. The Bible talks a lot about Money. In fact, the Bible mentions or speaks to money 2,350 times. There are 2,350 verses that speak to money. 15% of this book is just about money. Why is that? Is Its because like, God's obsessed with money? No, it's because he's obsessed with you and he knows how we can be obsessed with money. And so he speaks honestly and clearly about it. And we're going to look at a story today that is not actually directly about money, but I think it gives us a framework for us to understand what we do with what God's entrusted to us. It gives us a way of understanding kind of the state of our soul when it comes to really growing a life of gratitude and generosity. Jesus told the story talking about what it it looks like for those to come into relationship with him. He told a story about a sower in seeds and how people respond to the good news of grace that he offers us. So I want to take that story and use it as a framework to look at our hearts and our souls as we respond to God and what he's actually given to us. So this is found in Matthew chapter 13. We'll start with verse 4. It's a story that Jesus is telling. So it says this. I'll ask you, sorry, we'll start in verse three. Jesus says that he told them many things in parables. Parables are stories that Jesus would tell. And so this is one of those stories, verse three. A farmer went out to sow his seed. Now just hit pause real quick right there. We're on the first sentence, we're gonna stop. A farmer went out to sow his seed. Now just real quick, this is very important to understand the story. Whose seed is it? The farmer's. Now it sounds obvious, right? But this is where we so often miss the point. Jesus says, let me tell you a story. A farmer goes out to sow seeds. So the seed is actually the farmer's. And in this case, and in many cases, when Jesus tells a story, the farmer would tend to be either himself or he's referring to his father God. So in this case, God is sowing seeds. They are his seeds, not ours. That's very important that we understand the perspective there. That the soil does not produce its own seed. It is sown by a loving hand of God. Very important. So Jesus starts right there and says, okay, so this is that story. And this is what happens. Verse four, as he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path and the birds came and ate it up. Now, first mental picture your brain probably went to was of the birds, right? The birds came to swoop it up. And if you were to take this story and talk about the resources that God has entrusted to your lives, it'd be really easy to start and go, yeah, there are always people out there trying to get my money. They're trying to fly in and swoop in and take it from me. And the birds are always out after to get me and they're always trying to get my stuff, whatever it is for you. But if you look at the verse and you look at the story that Jesus told, what he actually starts with is the birds were secondary. The birds were only there because the path was hard. The soil was hard, and it just sat on the top. It didn't break in. It didn't break through. There's actually hard soil. Now, I want you to just pause for a second and think about the soil condition of your soul. Is it possible? Are there places that it is actually hardened to God? where where the, it has been packed down by the weight of the world and even closed off to God? Are there places in the soil of your soul that are hard, closed off, that you don't even see or recognize the goodness of God as he pours his love and blessing into your life? You don't even see it. You can't even recognize it. It doesn't even make it in to register in your soul because you're hard That's the word the Bible uses. It uses this phrase, the Bible uses this phrase, hard-hearted again and again and again to describe people who their soil has just been packed down and they're not actually open to God. They, They believe that what they have is theirs and so it's their right to do whatever they want with what they have. And maybe you've met people like this, that the tighter and tighter and tighter and tighter they grip onto their stuff, what happens? We see it all the time. It slips right through their fingers Important things slip right through their fingers like seed falling on a path. They miss the point. And then, yeah, someone else, something else is gonna come up and take that away. So Jesus is not pulling a punch. He says, some of us, some of us have soil that is not even soft or open to God to recognizing his goodness as Jeannie led us through last week. So a question for us to consider as we take a soil sample of your soul is simply this. How has my heart grown hard? I didn't ask the question, has your heart grown hard? But how has your heart grown hard? Where are the places? Because I don't think this is just a certain type of people. I think this is all of us in certain places of our life. Where has the soil, where has my heart grown hard so that I don't even see or recognize the goodness of God? I think that it's mine and I have to get as much as I can while I can and I miss that there's actually a good and generous and loving God liberally sowing seed into my life. How hard has my heart grown? Where has it grown hard? And where do I need to ask God today? God, soften my heart, loosen my grip so I don't miss what you have for me. Now, Jesus goes on and says, that's not the only kind of soil condition of the soul. There's another kind. Verse five, he says that some of these seeds fell on rocky places where it didn't have much soil. So it sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched, and they withered because they had no root. What's Jesus talking about here? Well, he's talking to all of us who have ever tried to grow anything in the city of Chicago. <laughs> Your little windowsill succulents is not quite all that it could be because the, the soil isn't deep. And what he's saying is this, here: this is a condition of the soul. This is a condition of the soul. And I don't think what Jesus is saying here is that this is necessarily always a a bad place to start because where it starts is good intentions, great intentions. These are the folks that have good intentions because it did, it said that, that there was growth, that something did spring up from them and I think there's a lot of us here. Who have great intentions when it comes to our resources. Like you you really want to make a difference and you get fired up and you hear about stories like we just talked about with Gratitude Weekend, and you, oh, your heart turns, oh, that's so cool that we get to be a part of something God's doing here to help feed people who are in need. Or you hear about our back to school, or sorry, our Christmas story that we're doing, even our back to school bash we did back in August. You hear about these ways, you go, I want to be grateful, I want to be more generous, I want to give back more to God. Maybe you hear a really, really powerful sermon like this one, and you're. (laughs) heart is convicted and you go, man, I want that kind of life. It's so easy to get all charged up but not change much. And it's easy to walk out of these doors and go, yeah, I really want to do that. But then no real change comes at the soul level in your life. These are folks with great intentions but with very little action. Great intentions are a great place to start but they will not carry you through the whole journey. Because the sun comes up, seasons are hard and difficult. There are rocky seasons of our life. And if we have an inch thin soil, our heart is only this deep for God, then it is going to be a tough run. And oftentimes the fruit of what God wants to bring out of our life is limited by the depth of our soul, our openness to God. So a great question to ask as you even feel stirred up, maybe, especially this time of year, Thanksgiving, Christmas, you want to be, and I believe this about you because I know it's true of me, I want to be a more generous person, I want to be a more grateful person. So a question to ask yourself today and to really wrestle with is, are my actions, any of my actions, any greater than my intentions? Are my actions greater than my intentions? an honest soul level question, are my actions greater than my intentions? Is is there anything in sort of with my heart's desire that have moved to daily disciplines in my life? Have any of the desires of my heart moved to discipline in my life to where I'm not just staying stuck at good intentions, but I'm actually putting those into action Say, no, God, I want to deepen the soil of my soul so that much fruit can come, God, so that much can grow as you continue to sow into my life. So Jesus says, look, that, that's the second kind of condition of the soil. He says, but that's not it. Verse 7, he says, other seed fell among thorns, like weeds, which grew up and choked the plants. Now the imagery gets a little bit more intense here. Jesus is saying some is sown and it goes into the right kind of soil. Clearly other things are growing in this soil, but there are things that are harmful and destructive to real growth. There are thorns, weeds that grow and literally choke out the life that God actually invites you to. To live, there are other forces at work that are actually working against you. That there really, genuinely are. The problem is so oftentimes we're the ones who planted them there, and we're the ones who continue to feed them. Now, I don't know if you've ever had to pull weeds. Just by show of hands, how many of you have ever had to pull real weeds before, like real in a yard with grass, and not just okay, great. So uh, I. I here's something. This is going to come as a shocker. I hate pulling weeds, right? Hate pulling weeds, hate doing it. And it started early in my life. We moved into a new house when I was 13, and it was in a kind of new housing development. And for whatever reason, the house was great, but they did nothing to the backyard. It, just, it was this giant tropical wasteland of weeds. And maybe my dad cut a deal and just decided not to have it landscaped. I don't know what it was, but what happened was he came to me and he said, son, I want to offer you a job. I was like, I'm not looking for a job, Father. (laughs) I'm good. And he said, "Uh, I'm going to pay you. I'm actually going to pay you to go pull all the weeds. And I'm not talking, these aren't, these are three foot tall weeds. Like these are like jungle weeds that are growing, okay? So he said, I want to pay you to do it. I'm going to pay you this much. So if it takes you, you know, however long it takes you, you're still going to get paid that much. So I'd get to work if I were you. So I did some searching to find commercial grade napalm and to kind of figure out if there's some sort of scorched earth strategy I could use for the backyard, and that wasn't gonna work. So I went out there, and, I, and, I, and I'm telling you, these weeds um, were angry. They had sin in their heart, like they were. <laughs> they opposed me in so many ways, and so I'm trying to pull them up, and it's hard. Like getting, you know, little weedy splintery things thorns and I'm pulling them up and it's not working and getting so frustrated and I look and I see how big the yard is. I'm like, this is never going to happen. And so for those of you who raised your hand a moment ago, you said you've pulled weeds. What's the right way to pull a weed? By the root. That's the right way. It is not the fastest way. I found a faster way. Just chop them off at the surface of the <laughs> soil and kick some dirt over them. guys, I don't know why this isn't on HGTV. Like that was my strategy, and so I got that done in a day. I just da 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 da, kick 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 kick, and I was like, "This is awesome!" I was so proud of myself. So my dad paid me. He's like, "Great job, great job." And then guess what happened a week later? They all came back and they brought friends, <laughs> and they knew my name. They were coming for me, and so I had to go back and do it all over again. I hate weeds, and mainly because the whole point of a weed is to choke the life out of the good things growing around it. And no weed is ever going to willingly lay down its life for you. It has to be uprooted. You have to get on your hands and knees and get your hands dirty to pull a weed up by its root, or it will grow back in your life. And the same is true of the forces that work against you and I when it comes to living lives fully and freely for God, responding to him with the resources that he's entrusted to us. There are weeds at work in the soil of your soul. One of the biggest ones I think all of us could nod our head to, at least at some level, is debt. Debt is a weed that chokes the life out of you. Would you agree? Do you know that our country has so many weeds in our own uh, soils of our souls? It is actually a national epidemic. We owe as a consumer nation. Now, this is not our government. This is not what we owe to other nations. This is just we the people. Here's how much we the people owe currently right now in America. We all owe 11.6 billion trillion dollars as consumers. Now let me break that down because you have no way to measure what that even means. (coughs) Here's what it means. It means that the average American household is currently carrying around $15,593 of credit card debt. So just credit cards alone. Average household, $15,593. Now in school loans, outside of that, let's just take credit cards and school loans. Average household owes $32,511 in school loans and some people are paying for their school loans with credit cards right because that's that's a strategy that's offered to students and when you're 19 that sounds great but when you're 39 still paying for it not as great so just with those two numbers just credit cards in school average person around $48,000 in debt just that's not cars houses or any of that fun stuff you think about just the, the power that we that weed of debt can have to suck the life out of you. Think about just our our obsession to blind consumerism that drives our culture so much. Now this week we have two national holidays. One of them was established to help us be more grateful, <laughs> to remember the good things in our life, and to take some time to reflect on those things and maybe even be thankful but there's another holiday that we created that has greatly overshadowed Thanksgiving, and that is Black Friday. Even the name itself implies impending doom for all. (laughs) Black Friday is an ode, it is a celebration of all that is consumerism. And it's amazing how quickly that has even overshadowed the more important day of the week, which is a day for us to stop and be thankful and remember, last year, just last year, 2013, our country, on just Black Friday alone, one day, 24 hours, we as a nation spent $13.1 billion on laser shavers. Like, what did we even buy that we needed to spend that much money on? We spent more in one day than a large percentage of smaller countries spend in a year. We spent in one day. Now, would you, would you say that blind consumerism... Might be a weed growing in the soil of our soul. And so, what Jesus has invited us into is to name these things, to be honest about them the debt in our lives, the fear of scarcity in our lives, this blind consumerism. And if we don't watch them, little by little by little, these things will grow. And they will begin to choke out the life within us, the life that God has invited us into. And the crazy thing is that without you and I realizing it, we oftentimes are the ones who water our weeds and feed these things and don't even pay attention to the effect that they're having in our lives. So the question for us to consider is, what are you giving life to that's actually taking life from you? Are there any habits, patterns, any things that you, you had very little control over in the beginning, things you learned from your parents, a decision you made in college that you're still stuck with all these years later? Any habits, addictions to buying, to having, to owning? Any places in your life well, you are giving life to things that are actually taking life from you, what would it look like for you today to literally uproot those things and say, you don't get to take the life that God has invited me into anymore. It will take an uprooting. You can't just knock it off of the soil and kick some dirt over it because it will come back and it'll come back worse. Jesus is saying, no, I've created you for such a better life. It's gonna take work. It's gonna take work, but it is worth it. <coughs> Then Jesus concludes this story, this framework that we're looking at for our souls, by saying there's another kind of soil. Thankfully, it's good news. He says, still there's other seed fell on good soil, where it produced a crop. Now look what he says, 160, 30 times what was actually sown. This is what's so beautiful. Jesus says, for a heart that has been tendered and tilled and open to God, a heart that says, God, it's all yours, and I receive it as a gift what would you want me to do with what you've entrusted to me? That kind of soil in our soul, that openness, that gratitude, that place of starting from there has potential for exponential fruit in our life. That what God can do when we start in that place is exponentially more than we could ever do on our own. That's why we give here as a church. That's why we give to great organizations. That's why we support Brown and debt, we want to give of ourselves because what God does when we do is exponentially more. And the fruit that comes from that is not only for them, but for us as well. That we get to actually taste the fruit of generosity that's rooted in gratitude. This is what God does. And it's so much more than we could ever do on our own. And it's something that you can actually begin to do today. Today. I think all of us, I think you want to live a more generous life. I think you want to be more grateful. But all you're wanting and wishing isn't going to get you there. It's going to take some real choices, some discipline today, so that you can grow a life of gratitude and generosity. You know, the the fruit of generosity that grows in this kind of soil, the fruit of generosity comes from Really, is honestly, comes from the roots of gratitude where I say, nope, this is yours, God. It's from you. It's from you. Like Jean taught us, I look up. The fruit of generosity comes from the roots of gratitude that is planted. Get this in the soil of discipline. Daily just, we don't like that word. Oh, you had to bring that into it. Why can't I just have it fast and easy? Well, that's weeds. That's what those are. And those actually take life from you. This kind of life takes the soil of discipline where you're tilling it and working it and softening it and opening it up more and more and more to God, exposing the weeds and thorns that are choking out your life, naming the places that are shallow, where there's not a lot of room for God to grow, and even naming the places in your heart that are hard to God. Bringing all of those to God, as we're going to have a chance to do here in a moment, saying, God, what would you do to soften the soil of my soul so that generosity may grow for me like a fruit that gives life not only to me but to others around me. As I said, this is, a, this is planted in the soil of discipline. It takes daily decisions, things that G and I have had to set up and work out and rework and work out and rework and many other folks in our church have had to as well. To say, no, I want to live responsibly so that I can live a life of generosity. I want to see what God has given me as a gift and I want to do the most that I can to honor him with it, the best that I can offer him. And one of the ways that we want to help you do that this week is a really clear next step. We're all about taking next steps in our relationship with God and growing in real time with a real God. And so in your seat back, you should see one of these. There should be a sheet. I want everyone to grab it right now. And if it helps to even write your name at the top, go ahead and do that right now. We're not going to fill this out now, but it's something for you to take home. It's called the, Splendi, uh, the Spending Plan Worksheet by Category. Our creative team spent all week on that title and... Um, <laughs> The spending plan worksheet by category. I know it's very inspiring. We didn't want to just get you all fired up. We wanted to throw some Excel spreadsheet love on there. So um, you know th- what this is, is this is a, a budget. And, and you may be familiar with this. You may live off of this. I think a lot of people, and I hear this, I think a lot of people want to. So we're going to move from want to willing this week and say, okay, I'm actually going to do this. Or maybe I did this a while ago, but it's been so long, my life's changed. There was two of us, now there's one of us. There's one of us, now there's two of us. Oh, there's four of us. I got a new job, new promotion, lost a job. The terms have changed, but the principle still remains. What do you do with what God's entrusted to you? We've taught this here before at Soul City Church. The reason that we believe this is important, why we're talking about a budget in the church, why are you even talking about this? You're not get this from a workshop. The reason we're talking about this is because the Bible talks so honestly and openly about money and the role that it can have in your life. And what we've learned and discovered, whether you realize it now or not, this is what's true. Everyone else in your life has a plan for your resources. Everyone else has a plan for your resources. Every credit card company, every bank, every car dealership, anthropology has a plan, <laughs> I'm speaking a prophetic word, has a plan for your resources. The question is, do you? What do you do with what God's entrusted to you? And so this is some real homework that you can do this week. And I'd invite you to do that, to actually take this home and fill it out tonight. Don't wait, because you said I'll get to that on Wednesday. You won't. If you're anything like me tonight, say, I want to break this down and take a next step. There's a ton more resources on our website that you can go to and kind of learn a little bit more about what this looks like. Next week, we're going to talk about the reason we do all of this is to set our life up for a lifetime of generosity. And so we're going to look at what that looks like next week. But for now, what I want you to do is to hear a story of a family from our church who had to do this very hard work to kind of till the soil of discipline in their lives so that the fruit of generosity could be uh, growing through their lives. So i want to invite up Cliff and Janelle Goines up to the stage right now. Can you welcome them as they come up here? <laughs> Love these folks. Been a part of our church for about a year and a half-ish right now. And uh, th- these guys have such an awesome honest story about kind of where they started, where they got to, and where God's leading them when it comes to your resources. I thought it'd be great if you guys could give us a little context, Cliff and Janelle, about uh, kind of the weeds that were growing in your life um, when it comes to the soil of your soul, all that kind of stuff. What, what was going on for you guys in this last decade or so?
1: Sure. So uh, we, um, we got married in 2002, and coming into marriage, uh, we actually had about $90,000 worth of student loan debt between us. Um, yeah, big number, big number, <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and we were staring it down, and you know we, we came up with a plan, and we were kind of pan it down, but you know we also added, you know, car notes to that, mm-hmm. and you know, a nice mortgage. You gotta have, you gotta have a mortgage. We live in, you know, America, so so we have all this good, good <laughs> debt, good debt, and um, also I ended up starting a business, and with that business, my partner and I took out a business loan. Hmm. Well, what happens when your business goes under and you still have a business loan, everyone? It becomes your loan. So. <laughs> so now we have a lot of this good debt. This, this actually set us back about $100,000. And again, wow. we're almost at the end of our student debt, and this kind of comes in. Wow. And so, you know, we also were kind of questioning, like, we've been kind of faithful. We were still giving and things like that. But, like, God, what's going on? Yeah.
0: So y'all like grew up kind of going to church and so you were being faithful and given and trying to do the best you could, but this was an overwhelming reality in your life. And so did you just wish really hard that it went away or kind <laughs> of, probably not, right? To, so why don't you tell us a little bit about what God did As you guys said, oh man, we have some we have some work to do, and and how long ago did you start really aggressively getting after this last big kind of pile of debt? How long ago was that for you guys? Yeah,
1: the the, the last piece uh, about 2009 ish. So we it's not that long ago. Yeah.
0: So tell us yeah. kind of what God has been doing to meet you while you've been doing that.
2: So it was it was really hard for me um, because I kind of had my mind set on moving to a better neighborhood um, with better schools for our kids, mm-hmm. and uh, that moment when Cliff gave me this number, all I could think about were my dreams flashing away in front of my face. And, you know, but it showed me, what God showed me during that time is that I had to be a lot more patient mm. and, uh, and trust in him. Mm. And, you know, a lot of times we want things mm. right now, mm-hmm. when we want them, we think that they can't wait. Mm. And, um, and God showed me that I had everything that, that we, we needed. And mm. I just had to, to wait and he would be faithful to us. Um, and then I also it worked out that comparison thing where you mm. you're in a certain part of your life and you've been working and mm. with your career and you think you're supposed to be in a certain mm. point at a certain time. And, and God showed me, don't compare because I have a purpose and a plan for you. And so mm. we were very faithful. and Cliff, you know he has his magic with, our, with the budget. And uh, we were very faithful to that. And really within the five years, we were able to pay off, um, all that business loan debt, the school debt, and um, now, besides our mortgage, be debt-free.
0: So you guys are living debt-free right now outside of your mortgage? Yes. That is unbelievable. Yeah, that's unbelievable. So I want to ask you a question. We didn't ask that at the 830. Who is this harder for of the two of you?
2: Oh, definitely me. <laughs>
0: okay. I'm not trying to put you in the spot, but yeah, it definitely is harder for you. And so what, how have you guys even worked that out together as... A couple. How have you kind of found a way to come together with God on this budget? Is that how's that process been for y'all?
2: I re- I've had to trust Him through God. I mean, I, I you know I like to shop. I like to do all the things that you know women people like to do, and
0: uh, <laughs> and some men people too.
2: <laughs> some men people. And you know, I mean, just really early on. I mean. I, And we shared with the church earlier, I came into marriage with a lot of credit card debt. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, it was just something personal I had to work out in myself is just not being caught up in that consumerism. Mm -hmm. And just seeing, you know, by trusting God and and letting Him kind of take us down this path and and Cliff putting us on a budget and just seeing all that we were able to do and free ourselves from.
0: That's huge. So, two simple closing questions Was it work?
1: It was work. Oh, yeah, yeah, it was work. (laughs) And it was sacrifice. Yeah.
0: Has it been worth it?
1: Um, absolutely. Yes. Yeah, absolutely.
0: I love it. Can we thank these guys for being here today? Thank you, guys. Thank you. And there's no, there's no possible way to capture in a little four-minute story there the reality of the day-in, day-out I, I want to say, I want to be free. I want to literally, like, till the soil, do whatever I have to do to be free. But I'm telling you, I want you to hear this from my heart. It's not my idea. It's God's. He's created you to be free. He's invited you into a life where you are responsible today so you can be generous tomorrow. It's a great invitation, it's a great life with him. It is work, but it is worth it. And the reality is for all of us, And the reason we can even talk about any of this is because there has been a way made for us, a price paid for us, that makes any of this possible. See, in the next couple minutes, we're going to have a chance to come and respond to the reality of Jesus. And I love that we can talk honestly and openly about our resources and how we can honor God, the state of the soil of our soul. But really, the whole reason we can have any of these conversations and talk about any of this stuff is because there's been a a way of relationship made possible for us through Jesus Christ, that there was, now listen to this, a debt of my sin and yours that I could not pay. I was underwater. I was over my head. There was, it was too great for me. And so God sent his son, Jesus, to say, I will pay the debt for them. I will cover it once and for all completely for them. That is significant. That is the greatest debt reduction plan ever because it's elimination. Jesus said, I've come to eliminate the power of sin in your life, all of those weeds that choke out your life with me, all the shallowness of our lives, even our hard-heartedness. He says, no, I will break through with my love and make a way for you, and I don't want you to forget that. And so Jesus gathered his followers together just hours before he'd be arrested and falsely tried and ultimately give himself to the plan that was the plan all along to go to the cross. He gathered his disciples together in a little room, and he said, I don't want you to miss this. There's power in my body and my blood. This is what pays the debt, the price. This is what rescues you and saves you and gives you new life. So he took bread and he broke it. He said, it's like my body, it's broken for you. I want you to know that I came to be with you and I offer my body for you. And then he poured out wine to represent his blood. And he said, this is like my blood poured out fully and freely for the covering of every sin. I want you to know that I came for you gave my life for you so that you could have life with me. That is the ultimate exchange. That is the exchange that this whole church, my whole life, is built on. And so it's important for us while we talk about all this stuff, we have our homework to do, that we not walk past the table where we remember the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. So in a moment, I'm gonna invite you to actually come to the table. In this room and also in our overflow spaces, we have tables set up where you can come and take off break off a little piece of bread, then you dip it in a cup to remind you of the body and the blood of Christ so that we don't forget what this is really all about, what's at the heart of it all. And so we have spaces up here in the front. We have them in the back as well. Over here on the left, there's actually gluten-free bread. We don't want anyone to miss the opportunity invitation to come to the table. But I would invite you to come with wherever the soil of your soul is at right now to be honest with God. Say, God, I need you to loosen some of these things up. God, I need you to deepen some of this conviction to you. I need you to forgive me and and clear out, help me clear out some of these weeds in my life so that I can actually grow into who you've created me to be. So I'm gonna pray for us. And as soon as I say amen, I wanna encourage you to come to the table to receive the elements. And we'll respond by closing with one last song. So join me right now, if you would, in a prayer. Jesus, thank you that you were the one who has paid the price on our behalf. You were the one who came for us thank you that we can even talk about what it means to be free in a world that it seems to be bound and enslaved and obsessed with money. You've invited us to be free and to actually be a light in the midst of that world, to live differently so that others see you through us. Thank you, Jesus, that that is ultimately made possible because of you. Thank you that you paid the price that we could not pay. You covered the debt of my sin, of our sin. I thank you that you know us enough to know that we need to be reminded of this as well, So we thank you for your body and blood, these little reminders of your power and presence in our lives. And God, I pray for those who maybe walked and wandered away from you, that this would be a reminder of the life that they can have in you and with you at all times and all seasons. And for those who don't know you here today, what an invitation to come and actually begin a relationship with you, to say yes to you. I choose you, Jesus. I want you to be the Lord and leader of my life, my Savior today and forever. And I pray that that would happen today as well at the table. Thank you, Jesus, for your blood, which ran red for us so that our lives could be washed white. We owe everything, all that we have, all who we are, ultimately to you. So it's in your name that we come. Amen. I invite you to come to the tables, both in the front and the back and corner classroom as well.